Ruffin McNeil has been the defensive coordinator for about three weeks, and in just his second game as the man in charge of the much maligned Sooners defense, OU's defense played its best game of the season. But Lee, you're being hyperbolic. What about the FAU game? The Sooners defense was great against a team that had one of the best offenses in college football a year ago. OU did play extremely well against the Owls in week one. Mike Stoops came to play that day, and he even admitted after the game that he expected more from FAU. Grant and I praised the Sooners defense and Mike Stoops following that impressive win back on September the 1st. But here's the thing. That was game one, and FAU isn't nearly as good as we thought they were. Hindsight's 2020, and Grant and I were dead wrong about where the 2018 Owls would be standing at the end of the season. FAU is 3-5, and 1-3 and three in Conference USA, and have scored a total of just 20 points in its last two games, both losses, one to Marshall, the other to Louisiana Tech. Hell, Marshall held FAU to seven points, and Marshall's defense isn't very good. Here's the real reasons why OU's defensive performance against Kansas State was its best of the season. Number one, OU did not have the whole offseason to prep for K-State. The Sooners had one week. And number two, Ruffin McNeil and his coaching staff showed that they're willing to make in-game adjustments. And guess what? Those adjustments worked. Here's an example. Remember when Skylar Thompson ran for 18 yards on third and 19 and then K-State converted that short fourth down and then scored their only touchdown of the first half? That was incredibly frustrating, right? I agree. How did OU respond after that drive? Three and out, three and out, three and out. Nine total yards allowed, Zero cheap quarterback scramble yards allowed. Here was the adjustment OU made. On that third and 19, when Thompson scrambled and nearly picked up the first down, Oklahoma was in its new dime package. Deshaun White and Caleb Kelly happened to be on the field at linebacker instead of Curtis Bolton and Kenneth Murray. OU was in two-man, which means two safeties were responsible for both deep halves of the field, and everybody else was in man coverage in front. Everybody except Kelly, who blitzed on the play. Deshaun White was responsible for the running back, which meant nobody was responsible for the quarterback, Thompson. Thompson stepped up in the pocket and scrambled for 18 yards because the DBs had their backs turned playing man coverage. Not having a spy on the quarterback here burned the Sooners. And also, I can't help but think the inexperience of White contributed to the success on the play for K-State. Murray had a similar play like this last week with TCU's quarterback. Kenneth Murray recognized the scramble, came off the running back, and made the tackle on the QB before the first down. This play against Kansas State was bad. But guess what? OU's defensive staff saw that and realized they'd made a mistake. And OU's defensive staff immediately fixed it. Literally the next K-State drive. The Wildcats faced a third and ten. OU was back in that dime package, back in two-man, Bolton in the game now, and manned up on the running back. Deshaun White still in the game for Kenneth Murray, and this time, White was spying the quarterback Thompson. On the play, Thompson has a little bit of time, but then White begins to close in on him, which forces a throw over the middle, which was incomplete. Nice pass breakup by Justin Broyles. Very nice, tight man coverage. 
It took one possession for the Sooners to fix the problem that burned them on the previous touchdown drive. Sooners fans, this is progress. In week four, we watched Oklahoma's defense do the exact same thing for damn near 90 plays against Army, and it almost cost the Sooners their season. Zero adjustments were made in that game. OU's players took a lot of heat for the way the defense played in that contest, but that's BS. The coaching staff did not properly prepare them for Army's attack. On Saturday, OU was properly prepared for a one-dimensional offense that had actually been playing its best football of the season to date and the Sooners beat the crap out of them. Grant said something in our last podcast that he's definitely said before on this show. Quote, a competent defense should have no problems with Kansas State. Well, OU's defense was certainly competent Saturday, and it had no problems with Kansas State. You know what? I think we both said the same thing leading into the K-State game in 2017, and the Wildcats' offense averaged 9.4 yards per play in the first half and scored 21 points. And that was with Alex Delton playing quarterback. If your contention is that the main defensive problems for the Sooners the last couple of years have been personnel and talent issues, the last two games blow that theory out of the water. Coaching matters. A lot. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Second down and 11, Murray, he's got a receiver, C.D. Lamb, and there he goes, C.D. Lamb, touchdown, OU, 82 yards. C.D. Lamb welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Everest. Lamb had a monster game on Saturday against Kansas State. Lamb, as well as Kyler Murray and really the rest of the Oklahoma offense, we'll jump into it later in the podcast here on West of Everest. I'm excited for this one. Uh, I'm not going to waste any time. I want to bring in Grant right away to, to discuss this game. Uh, Grant, first of all, uh, well, one, how's it going? And uh, two, I have some sound bites actually from Lincoln Riley and Ruffin McNeil that I want to play uh, later in the show. We, we haven't done this a whole lot since the season began, but... Um, with Oklahoma's defense playing as well as I think it did on Saturday. I, I want to hear some sound from uh, from Riley and Ruffin McNeil on the defense. Then we actually have a soundbite, too, about the Oklahoma offense. But more specifically, it's about Lincoln Riley's mentality and just the, the way the way he coaches. And I'm sure a lot of coaches are like that, but it's just nice to hear Lincoln Riley say that. So we'll get into that later on. But uh, again, how's it going? Going really well, Lee. It's always a good day after a 37-point win. Always a good Sunday morning when that happens. So, obviously, a lot of really, really uh, good things to take from that game yesterday. I thought they did exactly what they were supposed to do as a team that's vying for a college football playoff spot. They took a below-average team, and they took them to the woodshed. And I think that is exactly what they're expected to do. Um and then they have another test next week where they're going to be playing a good team on the road. Let's see if they can do something similar. And I think they might have the capability of doing so. Yes. And next week is obviously a whole nother ball game. And, and as the week goes on, we'll get into Texas Tech because Texas Tech grant is going to get yards and points against Oklahoma's defense. And it's because Texas Tech gets yards and points against a lot of defenses. I know Iowa State played them pretty tough and the scoreboard looked a lot worse than it really was because Iowa State's uh, I guess, what was it, special teams and defense actually scored or allowed touchdowns to Texas Tech on Saturday. So um, Iowa State's defense actually played Tech pretty well. 
Oklahoma's defense is not as good as Iowa State's defense. The Sooners will give up yards and points to Tech. But you know, obviously, we'll, we have time to get into that. For this game, though, let's, let's start with this. And you heard my opening take. Obviously, I'm very high on the defensive performance on Saturday. Those can throw some cold water on the defense the last couple of games because of who Oklahoma has played, TCU and now Kansas State, two offenses that are not particularly very good. Uh, am I overstating the defensive performance from from Saturday against Kansas State? Should I be pumping the brakes because of who Oklahoma played? Both. I think you should pump the brakes a little bit because Kansas State's offense is terrible. It's not good. They don't really provide a whole lot of challenges for you. Um, I think I think in the last podcast, Lee, you had said that uh, you think this was a bigger challenge than TCU's offense, even with Michael Collins. I After watching that game yesterday, I totally disagree with you. Uh, TCU just had a lot more players that could beat you than Kansas State did. But at the same time, it was really nice to see Kansas State not really being able to get anything going on offense. Even that really long you know, touchdown drive they had, it was really just, I, I think they had three or four third down conversions on that drive, and, and a lot of it was just Kansas State just executing. For the most part, Kansas State couldn't do anything in that game, Lee, and I think a lot of that had to do with them just being at a very distinct talent disadvantage. But also, I, I, will, I will say, it was nice to see Oklahoma doing what they're supposed to do against a team which they had a very distinct talent advantage against. Lee, I, I did rewatch the game this morning. The defensive line absolutely dominated Kansas State's front in the run game. It wasn't even close. I agree, and that's the point. Uh, the defensive line, I agree with you, did play fantastic in that game. But the thing you said right before that, though, the fact that Oklahoma dominated a team, an offense that has a one-dimensional attack and played as well as the Sooners did, is, is notable is significant because I like to use last season's game against Kansas State as an example. And I know the teams are different. Kansas State's not as good as it was last year. But Kansas State wasn't very good last year either. And Kansas State's offense made Oklahoma's defense look silly for a large portion of the game, mostly in the first half, but also at times in the second half when Kansas State needed to score and move the ball. The Wildcats did, and they got big plays, and they got a lot of it on the ground. The same exact offense came into Owen Field on Saturday, the same principles the same philosophy different quarterback a better quarterback in my opinion that's more dynamic can throw the ball actually and can run a little bit in Skylar Thompson and Oklahoma had one bad drive against Kansas State and in fact in the first six possessions for the Wildcats Oklahoma forced four three and outs four three and outs out of the first six possessions the last time that happened for an Oklahoma defense actually was back in week one against FAU. I looked it up. So it has happened before this year, and it was in the, in my opinion, second best defensive performance of the season, which came against FAU in week one. And look what happens when Oklahoma can do that to a to a opposing offense. Four of six possessions to start the game, three and out. Look what the score was uh, on Saturday, 48 to seven after that point and then obviously back against FAU I, don't, I can't remember what the score was exactly but it was something to seven as well just massive blowout so you give Oklahoma's offense opportunities and after you get stops you're gonna have a lot of success and you're gonna win a lot of football games and so that's that's why I'm so in, encouraged by that performance because it's exactly what Oklahoma needed to do as you said against a team and against an offense like Kansas State 
And Lee, I, I just I want to go back to the defensive line one more time because I, I want to underscore again just how dominant they were, especially Neville Gallimore. Going to the four-man front with a one-gap scheme is the best thing that's ever happened to him. He's clearly an athletic freak, and this, this unleashes him. He dominated that game yesterday. Neville Gallimore was great. And if, if that's the Gallimore that we see throughout the rest of the season, he's a guy who I think can develop into a legitimate playmaker, a guy who anchors that defensive line. Um, and that's not to mention Amani Bledsoe as well, who I thought made some good plays, as well as Kenneth Mann, who I thought made some really good plays as well. Really everybody. Jalen Redmond uh, showed some flashes in, in the limited snaps he was in there. Ronnie Perkins I thought was sound and was solid. Just everyone along that defensive line I, I thought was just was outstanding. And um, they did exactly what they were supposed to do against an interior of the Kansas State offensive line. That uh, run blocking, I think, definitely leads a lot to be desired. They, they just they did not have the juice at all to keep up with Gallimore and Bledsoe inside. And, and it was, we're going to keep going back to this. It was just nice to, Kansas State coming to this game, just a very one-dimensional team. And it was really nice to see OU completely shut down the one thing that they do well. Because, I mean, when, when have we seen that this year, really, outside of that FAU game? We haven't seen it. And I'm telling you, Grant, and this came across on the screen watching the game. Kansas State was incredibly frustrated. They had uh, you know, Joel Klatt was talking about a lot of how the effort just wasn't there. And it, it seemed like Kansas State uh, just was not happy a lot of the game. And that's because I'm, I believe the offense came in again the last. 10 quarters with Skylar Thompson after they made the move to him. It's been playing its best offense of the season. They've been moving the ball better than they had at any point in the year. And they were going up against an Oklahoma defense that they were able to, to gash a lot of the times last season. So that offense was thinking, I'm sure, okay, we're incredibly confident. We're going up against this Oklahoma defense. We had tons of success against a season ago. Let's do it again. And when that success didn't happen in this game, that frustrated the heck out of them, and they got mad, and they were not expecting that. Kansas State was expecting to move the ball and do pretty much what probably it did against Oklahoma State in the second half in that game and compete and have a chance to win that game probably and control the clock, and Kansas State couldn't do it. And I'm telling you, if Oklahoma doesn't switch defensive coordinators and they're still playing that 3-4 and they're playing that two-gap scheme, Kansas State runs the ball well, and they control the clock, and that game's a lot closer than it was. I don't know if the Kansas State wins, but it's – Oklahoma's probably sweating it out, Grant. And the reason why that even man front, and you bring it up, I want to talk about the D-line more too, what it allows the defensive linemen to do, they don't have to think anymore. They're responsible for one gap, and they just go, and they they be athletic, and they do their job. And that allows then the linebackers also to read the run and come up and fill gaps and make plays too. Everybody benefits from the change. And it's obvious. It's night and day. If Oklahoma's playing, again, the same 3-4, two-gap scheme against this Kansas State team, I guarantee you Kansas State runs the football very well in that game, and Oklahoma has some problems on defense. I mean, it's a little, it's a little speculative, a little hot-takey, but I understand where you're coming from. You uh, saw it last year. We would have seen the same exact thing. They would have done the same exact thing they did last year in Manhattan. And sure. o- Kansas State, um, unless, you know, I will say, you're right, you mentioned – after halftime last season, Oklahoma did play better, and I think it was just they they were more physical in that game. So, you know, maybe they come out and they play exactly the way they did in the second half against Kansas State last year for the whole game, and they do play good defense, but I doubt it. And the thing is, even after, the, the, after halftime last year, there were plays that Oklahoma's defense gave up to Kansas State. 
So I just, I, think I will. have seen enough evidence to suggest that, that things would have been pretty similar to last season, in my opinion. I don't know if they would have been similar. I mean, they got shredded last year. Uh, I, I do agree that if that if Mike Stoops was coordinating the defense for this game, I don't think they would have looked as good. I, I think that is pretty easy to uh, to take from this. But Leah, I mean, Kansas State under no circumstance had any chance to win that game at all. You're forgetting that Kansas State's defense literally did not stop Oklahoma's first team offense. Did not once. Did not get them off the field once. And they wouldn't have the entire well, I'm not game. Not forgetting if, that, but yeah. I mean, imagine if they're not going three and out, three and out, and they're actually just running the ball and controlling the clock. I mean, the one yeah, it drive, would have been tighter. But the one but, drive they scored, they went fourteen plays, and it took up like what six or seven minutes off the clock. I mean, fourteen plays, Lee, and I, and also I, I do want to point out that it seemed like a lot of what Kansas State got on that drive was exactly the thing I was worried about with. Uh, with Skylar Thompson, and that was his savvy scrambling ability. That's really mm-hmm. what kept that drive alive. Um, and you, and good on you and your opening take. You said after that drive, they made the adjustment. They started to spy him afterwards, and he didn't really break off like that again um, over the course of the game. So, yeah, obviously very encouraged. And, and I'm going to keep going back to it. It's 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 because they just did what they were supposed to do against a team that they have a very very heavy talent advantage against, and. Um, over the last two and a half years, Lee, though, we haven't been able to say that uh, consistently. They've they've certainly been shredded by teams that I thought that they were just a lot better than on that side of the ball, and it was it was just really nice to see to see this because I I think uh, they unleashed a lot of the guys on the defense. They let them run towards the ball, and um, I, I do want to commend you. A couple weeks ago, you said that just um, them playing a lot more confident, a lot faster would, would help with the tackling. And Lee, I thought that this was the game where they tackled the best by far this season. I don't even really, yeah, I don't absolutely. even really remember a bunch of egregious missed tackles. And that really was because a lot of people were rallying to the ball and were put in really good positions. Um, I think this is something certainly to build off of. I don't want to say anything definitive until they go to Lubbock next week, which we just found out this morning is going to be a night game in Lubbock. So it's going to be tough. Um, so We'll see. I mean, I, I, I said before this game that if they if they come up with a really nice defensive performance, I may become un, insufferable with how confident I'm going to get in this uh, on this team. Well, I, I'm definitely getting there. I'm, I'm not fully there yet because I do want to see what they do against Texas Tech, Lee. But they're they're one uh, really impressive performance away from Texas Tech um, to me being about as confident in this team as I was at the end of the season last year in, in the Baker Mayfield led team. So let's get to our first piece of sound on the defense. And I, listening to Lincoln Riley after the game, talking to, to, the, to the media, a lot of questions come up, as you would expect, about the defense currently. And the guys, the beat reporters, you know, people I know, obviously. I, unfortunately, I, I was not at the game on Saturday. I had to stay back in Oklahoma City and anchor our newscasts, which is uh, more of my job now that NBA season has begun and Steve McGee, who normally does our weekend anchoring, will be on the road with the Thunder. So now with Steve's busy all the time, I have to anchor more. So I get to go or I, I, I don't get to go to OU games as much. Anyways, uh, listen to Lincoln Riley talk. You can tell. And he even acknowledged it. He, he said that you, you all are trying to get me to do the comparison thing and com- compare the defenses. And, and Lincoln Riley is being respectful and clearly not trying to compare the defense currently to what it was when Mike Stoops was here. And Good on him for that because he's again he's being respectful to Mike Stoops and and that's just it's not his place publicly to do that and he doesn't need to do that. You can use your eyes and you can tell the defense is playing well and and of course Riley is committing the defense. So uh, furthermore, here is is Riley just 
on the defense as a whole. And, and the first thing he talks about is how results matter. And it's nice to see Oklahoma get some results on defense. Results matter. I mean, they do. And, uh, you know, for them to have some success, you know, after some of the changes, after some of the things that the, they're doing differently themselves, uh, being more invested, whatever it is, to have that success makes a difference. And it continues to breed confidence. And so the key is, as the success comes, the work ethic has got to continue to rise. And uh, But Ruffin's done a great job. You know, it's not an easy role to step into. And uh, he's done a great job. He's tremendous with with their mentality, you know, with their with their psyche. I mean, he's just he's always been great with that. And that's why, you know, that's why we made the change that, you know, that he was a guy for the job. So success breeds confidence. The team is is getting more and more comfortable with uh, the simplistic scheme and the philosophy. The thing is, though, and we'll again talk about this later in the week, Oklahoma, Ruffin McNeil, Lincoln Riley, the players, they're playing good defense, but it's up to them to realize that Texas Tech is a whole nother animal. And this year, Cliff Kingsbury is doing an excellent job coaching that team. That offense is, is moving, and it, it's more uh, dynamic than it has been recently. They're able to run the ball a lot more, and Bowman's playing some pretty good quarterback. So it's up to the Oklahoma defense and everybody around there to realize that, hey, this isn't Kansas State, this isn't TCU, this is a team that, can, that has the capabilities to gash us. And this will be our biggest challenge to date with Ruffin McNeil in charge. And uh, hopefully that they have that mentality. But um, just hearing Lincoln Riley, though, talk and, and again saying that Ruffin McNeil, that's why we brought him in and things are going well. You know, Ruffin McNeil has had experience doing this, Grant, as you pointed out. And we've all pointed out back at Texas Tech. And, and so far, so good. Yeah. I mean, they, they look great so far. And we're going to keep saying it. I, th I think a lot of people are in wait-and-see mode here. I think they're impressed by the last two weeks. They, they've really done all they needed to do the last two weeks, and now just here, here comes the next test. And, and I, I, one, I'm glad the defensive line is playing well because that's going to be very important against Texas Tech. If you can shut down their run game, I think that limits a lot what they want to do because they've started to, uh, they've started to predicate a lot what they do in that offense based off their success running the ball. So if you're able to shut that down with your defensive line, you're going to go a long way to limiting Texas Tech. Also, you have to remember, Lee, they have a true freshman quarterback who just turned it over four times at Iowa State. This is a guy who's got a propensity to turn it over and be a little careless with the ball. So, And, and you know, we'll, we'll talk about Texas Tech coming up this, you know, this upcoming week. But, uh, I mean, there's certainly going to be some opportunities for OU's defense to continue to play well. I think... Um, this is probably going to be the best offense they faced uh, up to this point this season, probably. So um, a, a, mm -hmm. a new a new challenge for sure. But it's definitely nice um, that they had these first that they had these two games against, but um, maybe what what could be the two worst offenses remaining in the Big Twelve, just to kind of get it right and uh, get their minds right. And hell, I mean, when was the last time Lee they gave up less than three hundred yards in back to back games? I mean, it's it's probably I, I don't know. It's got to be close to a decade since that happened. Yeah, and speaking of that real quick, I, I know that these numbers, we don't really care that much about them. But just just to bring it, throw it out there, uh, total defense. I mean, that's kind of the easy stat that, that people can cite because it's just, you know, total defense. It's a number even though you and I, we're not the biggest fans of that stat. We're more of like a yards per play kind of guy. But just just because it's, it's interesting, Oklahoma, after that Texas game, uh, you know, after they got gashed by Texas, were – 84th in total defense in the country, allowing 421 total yards per game. 
Mike Stoops gets fired. Oklahoma's had two games since then. And in two games, Oklahoma now has gone up to 52nd in the nation, 380 total yards. So they've improved their average yards per game by 41 yards in two games, which is uh, nice. Nice. I'm not sure how much that matters, but it's just it's a number that shows some improvement. Before we played that Riley soundbite, you were talking about the tackling, tackling being being a lot better. And I, yeah, I'd like to take a victory lap because a, a lot the people just didn't understand why the tackling is so bad. And I'm telling you, it's it's whenever you're not comfortable with what you're doing and you're confused and and the the plays the play calling is not good and the scheme and the philosophy is not great. You're not going to tackle well. You're not going to be confident. Everything's simple now. And granted, yeah, they played two offenses aren't that good, but. I don't really recall any missed tackles in that game. I mean, and I saw some nice open field tackles, uh, particularly there was one that stood out to me in the first half, Robert Barnes. And I want to talk about Robert Barnes for a second. How about him? Ever since the, the change was made with the defensive coordinator, Barnes has been playing more. And I love his aggressiveness from the safety position coming in and playing the run, Grant. And he only had three tackles on Saturday. He had a, a, a half tackle for loss. Uh, as a team, Oklahoma had three, five and a half, six, seven tackles for loss. And with this new philosophy and, and scheme, we're seeing guys on the defensive line and also linebackers and for Barnes' sake, even a safety, get into the backfield and make tackles. And before I let you comment on Robert Barnes, uh, let's let Ruffin McNeil comment on how Robert Barnes has been playing. Robert, I call him 20. 20 has done a fantastic job of focus, bearing down, and taking steps as about playing young players. Robert was a young player last year, but he's, I really like the steps that Robert has been taking, that he's been taking the last uh, few weeks. And, uh, you know, he's one of those guys we can have in coverage or involve in a run game. So proud of Robert's progress. And so am I, Coach. I am incredibly proud because I'll admit, I, I'm one of the people where – probably halfway through this year when, when Barnes wasn't playing a lot and thinking maybe I mean granted he had some is injury issues a season ago and that was tough on him and I know I think he had a little bit maybe preseason kind of nicked up here and there and I thought maybe this guy just doesn't have it he's looked really good the last couple of games and I thought he was very good against Kansas State did Robert Barnes flash it all to you on tape when you watched the game back yes he looks sound and I think that's big, especially defending the run, Lee. In the Big 12, Absolutely. In the Big 12, Lee, your safeties are incredibly important when defending the run because very rarely are you going to have that extra seventh defender in the box. So it's very, very important for that safety on the back end to be able to read and react to runs and come up and fill the proper gaps. And I thought Robert Barnes did a really good job of that. Um, Lee, the first half of the season, that's, that's the position where they had Buki in a lot. And he wasn't quite as good at that. Obviously not as big of a guy, um, not as good of a tackler as Robert Barnes. So I think that small little move has really paid dividends, um, especially with, you know, with, with, with putting Buki back more of where he's a little more comfortable around the, around the line of scrimmage, playing that nickelback role. Um, and we can get into that. But I think you know, Buki ended up, he only played about a quarter of this game because he left after that big hit. Um, 
but no, I, I really like that tweak. I think uh, that's been probably the most consequential change so far in the secondary, putting Robert Barnes back there because he's been really solid in run fits, and I think that's really important. That's going to be important against uh, against Texas Tech as well because I think Texas Tech is going to really try to scheme to get numbers advantages in the box, and it's going to be very important for Robert Barnes to recognize situations like that and, and get up and fill his gaps in the run game. So it's it's very encouraging to see him take a, take a step forward. I mean, Lee, a, a few games into this season I think everyone was was kind of starting to wonder if Robert Barnes was a bust mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's funny what happens whenever uh, things change and certain players are just put in different positions and that's again it's coaching I mean it's finding the best spot for certain guys and allowing them to succeed and, and, and flourish and Barnes is a big physical safety and he is showing the confidence to, to come down into the box here and there. And I noticed a couple times that they'd kind of show two high safeties and then they'd kind of walk Barnes into the box and they'd roll Buki over to play single high every once in a while. And, and that allowed Barnes to, to have that opportunity to, to play against the run and then also play against the pass if he had to. But I could tell he's doing a very nice job of reading run doing reading the tackles down there and making sure it's a run play and coming up and helping out in the run game and stopping the run and it's going to be a a whole different ball game against texas tech because against tech you're going to have to be incredibly sure about whether it's a run or a pass because they have the propensity to stretch you deep and if he's responsible for a a deep half or a a deep middle deep third i mean he'll have to get back there so his his aggressiveness that tech might see that a little bit on tape and try to try to do that play it against him a little bit so that'll be a huge challenge for him but so far so good uh, since Ruffin McNeil has, has gotten the job for Robert Barnes and that's been nice to see Buki you mentioned him big hit uh, it's you know tough to see him leave the game Lincoln Riley was asked about him afterwards just to get an update and Riley said there's nothing specific to report but it does look promising which seems like kind of like a standard answer that Riley's kind of going with this year when it comes to injuries I mean good thing it's promising but uh so nothing on Buki but I mean he was walking around and you know who knows if if uh, the game was closer maybe he could have came back into play but with Buki out it ended up giving more snaps to I believe Justin Broyles he got a lot more play and he had that nice play uh pass breakup that I mentioned in the opening take so Broyles it was good to see him get out there and play pretty well too Grant, any let's see, let's look, look, look at the notes here. Um, I know here you want to talk about uh, Ryan Jones a little bit. Yeah, or do you, you want know, to talk about him? I don't know. I just thought it was interesting that they ran some legitimate four three in this game. I, I don't recall us really seeing that at all over the last you know five or six years. I think it's the first time they've really been in a legitimate four three in that long, where they had four defensive linemen on the field and three linebackers, yeah. with Ryan Jones playing the strong side linebacker. So, I mean, I, I don't really, and, and I thought they were good out of that. Uh, Ryan Jones actually made some plays set in the edge, which I thought were really nice. And I think they did that primarily against just like heavy set personnel uh, for Kansas State. And they were successful doing so. And so I, I just thought that was interesting, seeing as that in, in the 2018 Big 12, or really just in football in general, you just don't really see any legitimate 4 3 that much anymore. And I thought that was interesting, is all. And it was clearly designed to play against a, a predominant run team because you get numbers in there and you get linebackers in there and you're not afraid of Kansas State beating you over the top. And it worked. It's just it's good game planning and it's not a big change. Simple adjustment. And it seemed like the players were ready for it and they were comfortable in it. And yeah, I mean, it's good to see Ryan Jones get some more snaps because, yeah, after, you know, in, in week 
against TCU with the predominant four two five, he didn't see the field as much. And I'm sure he was happy to get back out there. Yeah. Uh, pivoting as well, Lee, what did you think of? And I don't know, have, have you rewatched the game yet? I've watched, yeah, I, I watched all the way up until the Kennedy Brooks long touchdown run and then the possession after that where Oklahoma forced another three and out. At that point, I, I haven't watched uh, close. I mean, obviously, I, I saw the whole game, but uh, that was like my close rewatch. It went up until the Brooks touchdown to make it, you know, 41 to seven and then the three and out and then I know after that three and out Oklahoma went down and scored again to make it 48 to seven so that I, I kind of called it quits then do you have any crystallized thoughts on what you saw out of Jalen Redmond uh, because I obviously he had a little more chance in this game to show what he's capable of doing and I came away from this game thinking that he is a legitimate threat to be a major contributor on this team in the last quarter of the season I mean, limited snaps again, not as limited as against TCU. He played more snaps, but Redmond, five tackles, Grant, two and a half tackles for loss. Yeah, uh, and he's a player that they subbed in and they brought in for Ronnie Perkins. And I'm, I'm not sure they, they may have brought him in for man and they had Perkins on the field, too. I, I can't remember the, the one time when I took notes, I noticed he was in for uh, Perkins and man was on the other side as a, def- as a defensive end. But yeah, he's playing that defensive end role. I think he looked good. I and, and Lincoln Riley was happy to see him out there, and he made the point after the game saying Kenneth or Kenneth uh, Jalen got some play, got some snaps in this game compared to TCU, and, and he was happy with what he saw. Yeah, I, I don't know how you can't be happy with with what you saw, especially considering again that we didn't even anticipate seeing him out there this year, and that just provides more added depth to the defensive line that has started to play a little bit better since they've switched to this even man front. Yeah, Lee, the the play that stands out the most to me, I think if you if you stopped rewatching uh, before the long Kennedy Brooks touchdown, I don't think you would have seen this because it happened in the fourth quarter. But there was this was his last tackle for loss, and I think he had two and a half for the game. Uh, but this was one of his lone or his his um, his unassisted tackles for loss. Lee, it was on a draw play where he just shot right past Dalton Risner. Um, and then he he just he hit. I don't think it was Alex Barnes at that time, but he but he uh, he hit the running back right when he was uh, grabbing the ball for a loss of like four or five. And the thing that stood out to me the most on that play was just his burst and his closing ability. That guy's a. I mean, he's a, he's a he's an athletic freak. And there's obviously some things that he's gonna have to you know figure out with his technique. And um, there's gonna he, he was going against Dalton Risner, I thought for a lot of that game and. But, I mean, you could see the athleticism dripping off of him. He's a guy they got to get on the field. I, I don't think there's anything – there's nothing that I saw that would lead me to believe otherwise. I mean, that guy is obviously physically ready to play, which I, which I yeah, think is the biggest – absolutely. Which I think is the biggest question mark a lot of the times with freshmen coming in, especially on the defensive line. I mean, that, that guy absolutely belongs, and I think we're going to see more and more of him as we, as we go on. Lee, look for him to get a, a lot more run next week against Texas Tech because presumably they'll be facing a lot more snaps on defense. Hey, that's a good point, too. I mean, I, I didn't do the math, but I think Kansas State only ran something like 50-something plays and TCU only ran about 55 plays. It's back-to-back games. Again, I know the offenses aren't great, but, I mean, <laughs> Oklahoma's defense is getting off the field and – and limiting snaps and compare that to earlier in the year where they were, I mean, every single game, it seemed like they were facing 80 plus snaps. I mean, they faced a hundred against Baylor. And I mean, Baylor's been doing that to other teams too. That's kind of been Baylor's MO this year, but the defense is playing better and it's fresh. And Jalen Redmond certainly is fresh after not playing for most of the year. And it's nice to get him back. And, and I know here 
in the rundown, you mentioned um, you talk about nitpick. Let's do some nitpicks. And the one that you have here, because I have another one, too. You have this one here. The pass rush, largely non-existent. And with Jalen Redmond potentially coming on, that could help the pass rush. But, yeah, I, I mean, the pass rush sure is, is not there. I know I remember last week you mentioned that Kansas State gives up a lot of sacks. And uh, I, I don't even know if Oklahoma got a sack in this game. No, they they definitely didn't. And so I was I, I was really thinking hard about that as well because you know I the numbers yeah they were they were giving up a sack nearly on ten percent of all their dropbacks. And I remember Lee in the two games that I went and wa- uh, watched back, I thought that their pass protection in those games was actually like really good. So that sort of surprised me. And, and most of those sacks had to have been back when Delton was playing quarterback. Had I think to have he been. Just, held the ball too long sometimes and just didn't make good decisions. Yeah, yeah, because I, I thought for the most part, I thought their pass direction was really good. Uh, Dalton, Risner, Reisner. Reisner, as they're saying, yeah. He's really good. He's very good. Um, so I, I just, I, I thought for the most part, I thought Skylar Thompson was ha, had a clean pocket to throw from. But really, Lee, I didn't, the, the Sooners did not blitz a lot in this game. I, I thought they really nope, kind of... they didn't. They I, didn't. I, I, I thought they kind of sat back and, and made Kansas State beat them, which, which I'm okay with because... Kansas, they're they're just they're they just do not have a lot of playmakers on offense outside of Alex Barnes, and when they're going to run him between the tackles, if he can't get going uh, with a head of steam, he's he's a lot less effective, and I think you saw that on Saturday. So, just just to put a bow on everything, I, I think we saw a lot of things to be encouraged for, uh, encouraged about, mostly just because. In Mike Stoops' tenure, this second tenure, they've had a propensity to give up chunk plays to really bad offenses, and that's not something that happened yesterday or really last week with any sort of, you know, with any sort of regularity. Of course, last week they did give up a couple of chunk plays, but other than that, um, TCU was largely listless. So it was good to see the same thing in back-to-back weeks. And uh, like I said, Lee, if they if they can put in uh, another really solid performance next week against Texas Tech on the defensive side. Man, it's 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 going to start getting really fun to think what this team can accomplish because, and, and I think we're gonna we're gonna transition into the talking about the offense here, Lee, uh, because I think we may ha- somehow in some earthly I have no idea how this is the case. Is this offense better than last year's? My God, how is that even possible? Okay, we'll table that because I still have some nitpicks on defense, even though I'm very high on the way the defense played I I did notice a couple of things that could be potential problems moving forward and it's it's things that we have seen prior this entire season but before Ruffin McNeil came in that have not really changed yet that I'm still concerned about and it's getting a little better but at times it's it looks the same uh, I'm still concerned about cushion too much cushion that the defensive backs are given receivers at times um they're, they're getting a little more comfortable with the coverages they're playing, so I'd like to see them step up a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage and make it a little more difficult at times on these wide receivers. Uh, I there On the long touchdown drive, there was a couple of, of plays where there was just too much cushion, and Kansas State was was taking it. I mean, they were just running little five-yard outs and taking that those five yards and more, which in a closer game, that, that'll be really frustrating if Oklahoma's going to give that to them. And, and at other times, they are playing a little bit tighter. So that's one thing that I saw that I, I'm going to nitpick. And also, too, I'm not a fan of Oklahoma on third downs dropping eight. And dropping eight against Texas was a disaster. And dropping eight the last couple of weeks have not been very good. O- luckily, Oklahoma hasn't done that a whole lot. But when they have dropped eight, 
they haven't had a whole lot of success. One of the biggest plays, the biggest play of the game against Kansas State was on their touchdown drive when Oklahoma dropped eight on third down and gave up a 20. Maybe it wasn't third down, but they, they dropped eight and gave up a 24-yard pass over the middle to a, a guy in the slot. And I can't maybe that was on third down. I can't remember exactly, but I, I they're not they're not great at playing zone coverage when they drop eight. I don't know what it is. It's just they're not comfortable in it. And I prefer instead of dropping eight to have one additional person rushing the passer. Kind of like whenever they like to blitz Curtis Bolton in the A gap and play and play man coverage with the two man. I like that a lot more than dropping eight. So that needs to get better if they're going to keep doing it. So those are my those are my two nitpicks on the Sooners defense that that could potentially be problems moving forward. When you, when you face offenses that are better at exploiting you and can throw the football better down the field. So that so that's the last nitpick. If you have nothing if you have nothing else to add, then we can certainly then transition into that offensive question that you posed about a moment ago. No, I got nothing to add. I think that was a that was a fairly good summary. All right, so yeah, we were texting about this on Saturday. <laughs> I think the way we phrased it was we're getting to the point where we both could be convinced that this offense in 2018 is actually better than the offense with Baker Mayfield in 2017, which was, for all intents and purposes, the best offense in college football history. <laughs> I, I, I guess I didn't look up the, the raw statistics through all these games, but... I mean, Kyler Murray is having a an incredible season, and he was tremendous once again on Saturday. And let me go through my notes. Lincoln Riley was asked about the uh, the passing game on Saturday. So Murray had Murray had 19 completions. I think he was 19 at 24 in the game, and he threw uh, he had 19 completions and to 12 different receivers. 12 different players caught passes in that game. And when Riley was uh, made aware of that in the postgame press conference, he kind of looked perplexed. And he was like, whoa, I I don't think I've ever had that happen to me before as a coach. And he said, I, I bet something like that hasn't really happened a whole lot in the history of college football. And he's probably right. I mean, 19 completions to 12 different receivers. Uh, that's incredible. So that's a passing game talk. And then when you add the extra element of Murray's legs, which we've gone over, over, over again, and he continues to always make the right decisions, Grant, specifically his rushing touchdown on Saturday, zone read play, he read the defensive end crashing in, he kept it, and he ran for, what, a 15-whatever, 20-yard touchdown along the right end. And it's a good thing he read it right because if he would have handed it off to Trey Sermon, Sermon was going to get crushed for a loss of yardage, just stuff like that just adds a, a new dynamic to the, the offense that Baker Mayfield kind of had, but of course didn't have anywhere near the speed of, of Kyler Murray. I know I said a lot of stuff there. I'll, I'll let, uh, let the floor open to you for your general offensive thoughts. I mean, where to start? Obviously, Kyler Murray is, he's been absolutely unreal this year. He is every bit having as good of a season as Baker Mayfield did last year arguably having a better season, his impact at, at, at worst has to be equal on, on their teams. He has been, he's been that good this year. Lee, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the offensive line, which is, and I know they, oh, fantastic. they said fantastic. it on the broadcast yesterday, but they are rounding into form. I think they are arguably the best unit in the country right now. They've been that good. Um, we, had, uh, we, had a, we had a listener, Sydney, on Facebook bring up how good Cody Ford has been this year because he had mentioned earlier this year that maybe he was a little concerned 
Well, he said he's no longer concerned about Cody <laughs> yeah, Ford. Yeah, I saw that. I saw and that. I'm not a, and I'm not either. Yeah, that was uh, Sydney who, who, who I said love that. Si- I, that yes. was a great comment Yeah, we love Sydney. Sydney. <laughs> Cody Ford has been downright dominant this season. He is making himself a lot of money. Um, so, obviously, that helps. I think Bobby Evans is rounding into form at left tackle. Um, Drew Samia has become just a lot more consistent. Creed Humphrey is getting to the point where he is dominating everyone in front of him. And, of course, we all know about Ben Powers, how dominant he is in the running game. Lee, the offensive line rounding into form. I, I'm just – everything's looking great. Just the the amount of room and the amount of space that the running backs had to operate. And, of course, that's not even to mention how much time Kyler Murray had to throw the ball. I thought there were, there were some plays, Lee, where Kansas State did a really good job of covering what OU was trying to do. But the offensive line was just so dominant. They gave Kyler Murray so much time to find open guys that it didn't matter. Um, and then just add that element to this offense, and that's that's unfair. Um, another thing to bring up, Lee, I think C.D. Lamb is, I mean, what else is that? I, I think he's one of the five best receivers in college football. I, I think he is. he's turning into that type of person. He reminds me a lot, Lee, of Michael Thomas for New Orleans. I, I think he's, oh, that, he's that type of player. Um, yeah. He's just, he's so polished. Not as big. He's not, not as big. big as he's not quite as big. Um, but he's so polished, and he's so good at using his body to shield off defensive backs. Um, he's very good in the air, which is something Joel Klatt said something yesterday. Which Very which, good hands. Very good hands. He is, uh, he, he's one of those guys where he's getting to the point where I think if you throw him the ball, he's one of those guys who's going to come down with it. And obviously in an offense like this, I think that's, that's just another wrinkle or another element that you can add to it. Um, you know, add on top of how well it's schemed, and he just seems to be wide open a lot of the times. But he's he's that good with with defensive backs draped all over him as well. We saw we saw more Kennedy Brooks, which I think he only he only touched the ball five or six times in this game actually. Um, but you know when he did, he had five the long, times. Five times he had the long you know 80, 80 some odd yard touchdown run. I thought Trey Sermon, after looking like his season might be over last week after that hit, looks completely healthy. What a what a weird thing that happened. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think we're we're two for two in uh, what looks like potential season-ending Trey Sermon injuries, and he's fine. That's awesome. I really hope that Oklahoma isn't pushing their luck, though. Yeah. So Lee, uh, after this game, I mean, I have I have two concerns with the offense. The number one concern is the, is the health of Marquise Brown. Uh, he seemed very largely absent from this game. He played a lot of it, but he he just didn't didn't get as much run as usually is. Obviously, two catches, two, two catches. catches for twenty two. And and I could see in between plays he was still kind of hobbling on that ankle a little bit. So, um, getting to the point now where that's a little concerning because they don't have any days off now until the until the the bowl by. So, um, or at least any weeks off until the bowl by. It makes me think. Let's let's get through Lubbock, him healthy, and let's sit him against Kansas. Is what I'm thinking. Um, that that could be the best case scenario. Maybe get him an extra week off because I think, obviously, his explosion is a big deal in this offense. Um, and and to beat to beat you know teams that they're going to have to beat in order to win a national championship, presumably Alabama and Clemson, they need Marquise Brown. Full stop. Um, and then the other the other nitpicky concernly I have is that. It just seems like the only thing that stopped Oklahoma in this game was them being too cute, and that's it. Otherwise, Kansas State had absolutely no prayer whatsoever, uh, like we said on on the podcast earlier this week. Yeah, and you could tell they were trying they were trying some stuff. Uh, real quick on Marquise Brown, I 
he, I was concerned. I, I know that Lincoln Riley was not that concerned. I, it, it was kind of interesting how there was not a whole lot of lot of news on Sermon in the week, and thought, oh, maybe he, maybe he's not doing so well, and he looked fine. And it was Marquise Brown actually that was clearly a little little hobbled still. But the fact that he did play, had a couple catches, but didn't play a whole lot. That's that's essentially kind of like a a week off. I mean, he didn't play a whole lot. Clearly, he wasn't he wasn't bad enough for him to be out of uniform. So that's a good sign, and the fact that they didn't need him a whole lot, and he didn't didn't need to go out there and run around a lot was good. So that's almost like a a win. It's almost like him getting a little more rest. So that's my thoughts on Marquise Brown. But back to you mentioning the little too cute. Sure, sure, and and it didn't really hurt him in this game. But uh, you know, I, I think you texted me, and you know how beautiful was the play design on that gadget play, that double pass that that Charleston Rambo ended up dropping would have been a touchdown. I mean, beautiful, beautiful play design. Uh, we'll see if Oklahoma uses that again this year. I, something tells me probably not. I, I don't know. I mean, because God, I Kansas, hope so. That what a shame if they wasted that on Kansas State because that's know, that's indefensible. That's but an indefensible is, play. They they have to pull that out at some other time. The thing is that the reason why it'll be difficult to to run again. Um, and you know what? <laughs> I just thought of this. Kansas State should have known something was up because Nick Basquin was lined up in the backfield next to Kyler Murray. But you know what, Grant? <laughs> you know what could happen later in the year? We've seen uh, we've seen Trey Sermon throw the football. We saw him throw the football last year against Texas. They might be setting up something for later in the year where, like, oh, Nick Basquin, he's the guy they run it with. They could run that play with Trey Sermon back there and totally catch a, uh, catch a defense off guard. They can run a lot of plays with, like, I, I mean, I'm... <laughs> they can run a lot of plays. I, I, I'm almost... I, they have to have something uh, attached to that play. I, I don't think... Um, the fact that they use this against Kansas State in a game, you know that let's let's be real. They had this game under control already when they ran it. I know it was only seven to nothing, but they they ran that play against Kansas State to put it on tape because they have something else that they're going to do from that. Now I don't know if we're going to see it the rest of the year. That doesn't obviously certain situations and certain games call for certain calls. So I can't say definitively that we'll see it again. But knowing Lincoln Riley. He doesn't. He doesn't run a trick play without without a purpose. So I, I have a feeling that he did that just uh, to put it on tape, so other offensive co- or defensive coordinators will think about it. And I'm sure there will be some little wrinkle that they have with that play uh, going forward. Just because I mean we've seen it over and over again, Lee. They they tried to run that play again, that little triple option look where they hand it to Sermon and then they try to do the speed option on the back end with Murray that we saw against Ohio State last year. I mean, know, that was, was that the first time we've seen it since Ohio State? No, they tried to run it against Georgia in the Rose Bowl. Did they? Yeah, that's that's like so that's the exact same formation that they um that oh, yeah. they showed with Murray in the Rose Bowl. It's the same deal. So, yeah, but they had Baker Mayfield on the field though with uh oh that's a good point yeah with uh with murray so yeah it, it I wasn't they, the same idea yeah okay so maybe Ohio I'm, state it was whenever murray came in whenever baker mayfield was sure I so maybe it, it, it's pretty clear he was pretending to be cramping up yeah i think it's um maybe we saw it against kansas state last year when when baker had to come off for a few plays i can't mm, remember okay. but yeah we saw that again and i i feel like this is this isn't the first time this has happened with trey sermon he sucks at that pitch i think uh, because yeah, and he, I mean, just, he doesn't do it a whole lot. So yeah, yeah and he he, could, he just doesn't look natural doing it. But that would have been a touchdown if if it was a good pitch. So yeah, um, I mean, if he was like a quarterback, I mean, he always pitches it way too early. I mean, he. But again, it's a lot easier. It's easier for us when we're sitting on a couch watching. I mean, he's literally there with the ball, and he. It's tough. 
yeah, it's it's difficult. But I mean, they practice it obviously, so you'd like you'd like to see him complete it. But I, I mean, I don't think it was that bad of a pitch. I think Murray kind of just dropped it. Yeah, I mean that's that's possible as well. So Murray didn't but, seem I mean, that to be play too put happy him... with the pitch, though. It looked like yeah. after the play. Yeah, I know. I know the announcers didn't didn't like the pitch either. So, um, oh, but well. real, but real. I mean, I thought that was it. I mean, they in, in the first half that was all that that stalled their drives were basically those were basically those two trick plays. Even though I think they, you know, yeah, because yeah, I think on both of those drives they settled for a field goal actually. So I mean, that really was it were those two trick plays that they didn't execute. And they were there. They, they just didn't execute on them. So um, I, there's, there's just not a whole lot to say about this offense anymore because it's just continued excellence week in and week out. Um, and I, I just I, I cannot believe we've gotten to this point. Kyler Murray is, is an absolute stud. I, I cannot believe how good he's been. And it's, it's a shame that I, the media is kind of treating the Heisman talk as, as a foregone conclusion because Kyler Murray has been every bit as good as, as Tua this year. Every bit as good. I think he's been better. I think from what he's had to do, I mean, and also, too, he's played better defenses than Tua has. I mean, Tua hadn't played that. And granted, I, I think Texas's defense, it's not as good as we thought it was. I mean, it didn't look very good at all against Oklahoma State. Uh, Iowa State's defense is good. And I mean TCU's defense has some issues. Obviously, it's 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 young, it's injured, uh, but still, I I think Iowa State's defense is better than any defense that uh, two has seen, and uh, maybe even Texas. I think Texas is probably better than any defense two has seen. So I you know I mean we're biased. I'm biased, sure. I mean two not taking anything away from two. Two has been fantastic, but uh, you know I kind of went over this a little bit in, in recent podcasts. It's just Kyler Murray's had to deal with a lot more crap than Tua Tagovailoa. And uh, he's been phenomenal. Um, who's got the better? Who, who's got the better supporting cast? Mm, I mean, they're both really good. Because, like, I think Alabama's full of five stars. Because, uh, yeah, because typically, you know, it seems like one of the one of the main arguments in something like this is, oh, who's got the better supporting cast? Who's doing more with less? I think Murray's got better players around him than Tua does, marginally, very yeah, marginally. Maybe. I, I think and obviously he's got a better he's got the best offensive coach in in college football yeah. too. And I think helps. and I think uh I think Alabama's receiving core is 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 actually the second best in the country. Very good. Yeah, it's really really good. Uh but they They're don't actually getting a chance to make plays now. Yeah. <laughs> for the first but, time in years. Um the thing is though the thing that I I think Marquise Brown is better than everyone that Alabama has and I think I think CeeDee Lamb is is just someone that Alabama doesn't have either I think they have a bunch of really kind of small Sterling Shepard like receivers which is obviously working out with them they're all very good um but I think I think Marquise Brown is Marquise Brown and I I just CeeDee Lamb is turning into just an elite possession receiver over the I mean he's on third down find CeeDee Lamb and I think he's going to get you the first down and I, I don't know if Alabama has anyone like that I don't know if they've really needed anyone like that um but I don't know. It's 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 it's, yeah, it's an yeah. it's an apples and oranges argument. B- both sure, both sure. offenses have been otherworldly good. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. They all have really good players on them. So, man, what a what we're, what we're a, lucky. Yeah, I know. What a just what a what a matchup that would be. These two offenses and they, mm-hmm. man, they they talked a lot about it on the broadcast. Joel Klatt kind of banging that drum, saying that he thinks a team like Oklahoma may be the only team that can beat Alabama, and he brings up good points because Oklahoma is the one team. That would not panic in a shootout. They'd just be like, uh, oh, no, whatever. We knew we were gonna have to score fifty to win this game. So Yeah, and this Alabama defense is obviously still very, very good. 
It's not the same as the Alabama defenses of the past, though. It's not quite as good, which also would help out Oklahoma as, as well. Real quick, back to the offensive line. I want to hit on something real fast because a listener on Facebook asked us a question. Kevin on Facebook uh, earlier this week, he asked, do you think the offensive line coming into its own is more of a story of Creed Humphrey finally starting to mature? And I replied to Kevin on Facebook, and I, you know, that's a great question because we haven't talked about Creed Humphrey a whole lot since he took over that that center spot from Jonathan Alvarez. And I know that you were banging the Creed Humphrey drum a lot in the offseason that he was going to win that job, and I thought it'd be Alvarez. And it was Alvarez at first, but Humphrey clearly has taken over, and he's taken that job away. So when I went back and watched the OUK State game, I made a point to watch the offensive line a little closer, specifically Creed Humphrey. And Again, when I got through the whole, you know, not the whole game, but when I stopped watching, you know, with 10 minutes to go in the third quarter, I didn't see Creed Humphrey or really any of the offensive linemen make any mistakes. I mean, that it was dominant and he looked very good and looked very comfortable and and good on him because a redshirt freshman taking that kind of role and a, a position that's so incredibly important at center. And he looked great. I mean, the whole offensive line looked great and and. Kevin, you might be onto something there. I mean, with Creed Humphrey starting to get comfortable in there, that he, the center, you could say the center is kind of the glue, and Creed Humphrey's playing playing great. And uh, just wanted to to point that out uh, again to, to give Creed Humphrey a little bit more love. Um, I obviously agree with that. I'm, um, I've I've kind of always thought with a center. Uh, the best compliment that you can pay a center is that you don't you don't recognize them. I think because typically when you're noticing a center, it's usually for really bad reasons. Um, and for the most part, Creed Humphrey, I think, has been he's just been really solid. You haven't noticed him, um, which which is good. I, I did go back. I, I I was paying attention to him and Cody Ford quite a bit on the rewatch, and it's the same deal. Yeah, it's just no mistakes. It's it's sound. Um, getting a good push in the run game and just really no pressure from up the middle at all uh, in pass blocking. He's been very good. But I think this is more of just uh, this is now a trend. Uh, it's Oklahoma's offensive line under Lincoln Riley ever since he has been here always gels in the second half of the season and kind of turns into the, just this monstrous unit. Lee, this is the f- this is the fourth consecutive year this has happened now. And that's just very, very encouraging going forward. They got, you know, it was it was nice to see the second team offensive line, you know, blowing open some holes for TJ Pleasure as well. Um, oh yeah, Pleasure had a nice game. They just they got some really talented guys on that line. I think Bill Biedenboe is the best offensive line coach in the country. Um, and, and really on the offensive line, it really is about cohesion. More, it's about cohesion and uh, and health. And that's obviously they they've had no injuries on the offensive line, and now they've played a bunch of games uh, in a row together, and, and that that's significant. So I, I think. Um, Really, with how they're playing right now, Lee, uh, with the offensive line and really the offense as a whole, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say, Lee, if they play up uh, at this level for the remainder of the season, and I'm talking about where they are right now, averaging 8.9 yards per play, which is the most uh, by a college football team we think in the modern era for the for the, through the first eight games of the season. I saw on Twitter earlier this morning. Um, there's two teams in the country that can beat them with their offense operating like this and it's Alabama and Clemson and that's it that's it all right here's what we're going to do for the rest of the show I have an abbreviated version of film time with Lee we haven't done this a whole lot since the season has has began Uh, I did post you know some videos on Twitter and Facebook you know a month or so ago breaking down some plays but nothing's really stood out to me since then and 
it's just been a bear to do that. It's a lot of extra work. So I apologize for not posting more. So I, I got a, a quick abbreviated one just first with the CD lamb long touchdown. And then also just more of a, uh, a story that highlights how shrewd of a play caller and how smart Lincoln Riley has been. And it also, I'm going to reference something that happened last week that grant you may or may not have seen, but first off the CD lamb long touchdown. Let me go ahead and find it. I think I just had it. Now I lost it. Um, sorry about this. Hold on. Oh, come on. I just had this up. Here we go. It was second down and 11. It was right after uh, this. This play came right after Oklahoma did their little like Statue of Liberty behind the back run play. And like it's the first time that I think it hasn't been successful. And uh, Kansas State played it well and, and Oklahoma lost a yard. So on the next play, K-State was playing cover three. Oklahoma was in 21 personnel, which means two running backs, one tight end. And he had Calcaterra and CeeDee Lamb in twins to the boundary side of the field. And Murray, just a simple, out of the shotgun, nice little just run action. Not he, you know, he, he wasn't really trying to sell the run that much. Grant Calcaterra shows a screen pass look like he's going to go for the screen. And all three of the defensive backs on that side of the field just sink in and look to Grant Calcaterra to take that away. And again, it, it wasn't even that good of a fake by Murray, but all of them bite. And C.D. Lamb runs the old nine route down the field, a little bit of a little bit of a post, and easy pitch and catch from Murray to Lamb, and just like that, seventeen to zip, and all because of the little run action, fake the screen to Calcaterra, at least give the look that they're going to throw that screen, and every single defensive back bit up on it, and that was enough for Lamb to get wide open. So I think that was but, an RPO as well, Lee. Do you think that was an RPO? It looked like one to me. It, it could have been. I mean, I don't. You know, it, it probably was. It probably was an RPO. It just it came off to me as as Kyler Murray had no interest in actually running the ball with that play because it really <laughs> because, it really looked to me Lee, like he was actually reading the safety that bit up and that CD got behind. That's that's who Kyler was reading on the RPO. See, I was watching that though, but if he was doing it that closely, he would have. I think he would have held it out a little bit longer for. I can't remember which running back he faked it to. He just he he did a pretty nonchalant little fake to the running back. Like to me, it didn't look like he was really reading much there, and it just it the 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 screen action from Calcaterra opened it up. And if and did you if see that safety wouldn't have bit? I'm not sure if that play would have worked. You see too, um, CD put his his hand up right when that safety yeah, bit up too. Yeah. So he he oh, knew yeah. he knew it was over right then. That's like, hilarious. Uh, hey Tyler, I got which, it. I got which, this, Tyler. which leads me to believe that's exactly what they were trying to do on that play. Sure. Uh, because sure. yeah, because CD knew right away that if that guy comes up, it's ball game over. So man, I love stuff like, and I actually saw it too on the broadcast. I was like, oh, you got him, you got him. <laughs> and the last thing we'll do on Lincoln Riley, and then actually we have a new thing. We'll do our three word reviews of the Kansas State win. I asked you guys on Twitter and Facebook for your three word reviews. Grant and I will give ours. And then we'll read a couple three-word reviews of the game. I think that could be kind of fun. But one more thing. Did you see Lincoln Riley this week? I think Oklahoma football tweeted it out during his um, his show with Toby Rowland at Rudy's during the week. I think it's like on Wednesday nights, Tuesday or Wednesday night. And he was doing that thing where they give the coach a situation from a game and they see if Lincoln Riley can – can remember the play call, what happened. And we saw this with Sean McVay. He did that uh, Real Sports on HBO 
you know, months ago, and he listed off all these plays. Like they gave him a situation from last season, and he remembered it. I think we've seen that from a couple other coaches too. Did you see that at all? Yeah, I did. Well, I didn't. I didn't actually see it, but I just remember people talking about it after it happened. So the the play it was from the Baylor or no, it was from Bedlam last or two years ago. It was like from Bedlam in 2016. And Riley nailed the play, and he got it correct. I can't remember what play. It was a touchdown pass to D.D. Westbrook. And uh, the, the point that I want to bring up, though, is that Toby Rowland was kind of giving him some jazz, giving Riley some jazz, because Riley made a, made a comment during this when he was going over what the play was in his head, kind of thinking out loud. He said, let's see, huh, the, the ball was on the right hash. He said right or left hash. And Toby was like, oh, of course, of course you, you think about the hash mark, like that detailed. And, and Riley made the comment. He said, well – Coaches care about the hash mark. Well, Grant, here's an example from Kansas State game, the Kansas State game, of four straight plays that prove coaches do indeed care about the hash mark. So it's 17 to 7. First down and 10. The ball is on the right hash. And Charleston Rambo runs a drag route across the field. Kyler Murray dumps it off to him right to left. Has plenty of room to run to the field side. Picks up 17 yards. Gets out of bounds. First and 10 now. Ball is on the left hash now. Oklahoma going some going tempo. So clearly this is they're planning this out. So this is uh, you know maybe they had multiple plays called in the huddle. Who knows? Murray rolls out to his right to the field side. Hits Grant Calcaterra who ran an out route to that field side. Plenty of room. Picks up 20 yards, and uh, I believe he gets out of bounds. Now it's first and 10 again. Ball back now on the right hash. Let's just run that little bubble screen to the field side to Miles Tease, who uh, he needs that extra room to get to the sideline, and he moves the football inside the five-yard line before stepping out of bounds. And now it's first and goal. The ball is back on the left hash mark. And then Kyler Murray runs a little option to the right, pitches out to Kennedy Brooks, and Brooks has plenty of room to negotiate and get into the end zone for an easy touchdown. Just a clinic and play calling and execution put on by Lincoln Riley and the Oklahoma offense, all based on Riley being well aware of which hash mark the ball was placed on. That was so cool to see. I mean, yeah, we. I, I don't. I mean, we, we and that's can, something that really. I mean, as watching the game live, if you're really thinking about that stuff, you might have noticed. But I really noticed it when I went back and watched it, and and it was just perfect timing after uh, he mentioned the hash mark comment uh, this past week, and and. I, sorry, I cut you off, but just another thing, too, and you and I, we complain about this all the time. How annoying is it when you see play calls run to the boundary side of the field with there's there's no room to, to work, and they're running like a, a stretch play or an option play to the boundary side, and it makes it pretty easy on the defense because they have the sideline as an extra defender because there's no room to run. Uh, yeah, so what I was going to say was it's, I mean, of course – coaches pay attention to what you know the hash marks especially in college when the hash marks are wider so you know especially in an offense like Lincoln Riley's that's predicated so much on space the hash marks are going to be a huge deal um the the hash marks are closer together in the NFL so you kind of have a lot of space to maneuver at all times in the NFL um but yeah I mean it's just it's just another example with how meticulous Lincoln Riley is and how he's always looking for an advantage um, and how every little detail really makes up what they do on their offense. And so, yeah, I, I like any sort of nugget that that shows off Lincoln Riley, what he's doing. And I think to just kind of the the uh, the general football fan, I don't think the hash marks are, are something that they think about too often. Probably not. No. All right, Grant. 
we have a little bit of time left. Let's do these three-word reviews. First time we've done this. And do you have yours? Yeah. All right. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll go first. And I, I put this on Twitter, so I'll get the ball rolling. So my three-word review for Oklahoma's win over Kansas State is committee take note. And the point behind that is obviously the playoff, first playoff rankings are coming out this Tuesday, and the Oklahoma defense looks better. And that's going to be, obviously, the offense is, is phenomenal. But what's going to give Oklahoma an extra little push, I think, even though they have one loss, is if the defense continues to look much improved and noticeably improved. So my uh, three-word review is committee, take note. Grant, what is yours? I like that. Lee, mine was going to be, or was going to be, is the D-line dominated because that was the most encouraging thing for me uh, with the defense, Lee was that up front. They just they did what they were supposed to do. Neville Gallimore and Amani Bledsoe were in the backfield all day and really just kind of ragdolled the blockers in front of them all game long. And going forwardly, I think those are the two guys that are really just going to set the table for the defense. If they start playing at a high level, this defense can can be good, not just adequate, but good. All right, I like that one too. Uh, let's go to Twitter now. So Twitter, I have a few and... We'll start with uh, Michael. Michael, his three-word review on Twitter is, defense isn't bad. Have to agree with that. That's a good uh, three-word review. Uh, Chase has a couple on Twitter. Uh, the first one is actually related to uh, the OU Kansas State game. The other one is uh, a, a shot at Texas, but we'll go with the, the K-State one. Uh, his Actually, this one's a shot at a Big 12 coach as well. Chase says, Snyder's too old. Ooh, being ageist. Chase is being ageist to Bill, towards Bill Snyder. Yeah, I mean, this might be it for Bill Snyder. This might be the last season. That's just, I mean, he's got some real young coordinators and stuff on the coaching staff, but boy, that, I mean, Joe Klatt during the game kept talking about how he's never really seen a Bill Snyder coach team play like that. So and, we'll see. And yeah, I didn't, I didn't actually, I didn't think Klatt was actually being that fair. There. I agree. I, just, I, I, I thought, agree. I think Kansas State just doesn't have any good players. Yeah, and they were just getting their butts kicked. This is I this mean. is this is the least talented Kansas State team I've like ever seen, and I think that was mostly it. They just, I mean, OU beat Kansas State in Manhattan two years ago, fifty-five to nothing, and and that was just because OU is just better than them. It's 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 pretty hard to play incredibly hard throughout the game when you're getting absolutely destroyed. And they're just not very good. I, so I thought, <laughs> I don't know, I, I, I thought, yeah, he was being unfair, especially when you got kids out there who, I mean, you don't know if they're playing hard or not. It just kind of looks like they're not because they're not very good. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Also, too, it's, it's a K-State team that, that can't, I mean, has been competitive with every other Big 12 team they played. It's just Oklahoma is just so much better than everybody else. I mean, K-State could have beaten Texas. Just just throwing it out there. Uh, Chase's other three-word review, I mentioned uh, it's a shot at, shot at a texas coach he says herman's a chump and uh clearly referencing the whole the whole tom herman and mike gundy thing uh, at, the, at the end of the game on saturday yeah i mean tom herman is tom herman so let's see, more from twitter uh david this is a pretty good one david's three-word review is did they punt <laughs> uh the obviously referencing oklahoma's uh amazing offense david yes austin seibert punted one time actually but it obviously wasn't until the second half. So that was a pretty good one, Grant. And it was uh, it was also yeah. it was also an Austin Kindle led offense as well. Okay. Uh Ryan, uh actually Ryan, a uh, friend of the podcast and uh I work with Ryan over at News 9. He this is a good one too. And this is 
this might this one might uh, make a lot more sense to or be uh, kind of like uh, you know looking forward in the future depending on how the Texas Tech game goes. But Ryan's three word review is deceptively too easy. Clearly referencing maybe it, it was more Kansas State just being very bad, which we'll see. We'll see how they play against Texas Tech. And um, James, uh, a family member of ours, has a pretty good one as well. His uh, three-word review is covered the spread, <laughs> which I figured Oklahoma would, and the Sooners did cover the spread. Great teams cover, especially 25-point spreads, even though I think it went down to 24 right before kickoff, which Ooh. means money was coming in on K-State. That's... Yeah, I don't I'm know. Sorry. I mean, that maybe people didn't get the news that uh, Oklahoma had changed defensive coordinators in, in the last couple of weeks. Because if, if they hadn't, I think uh, Bet and K State would have been pretty, pretty smart in that game, getting all those points. Uh, let's yeah, check I thought, Facebook. I, I thought K State was going to cover. I was, I was totally wrong. You did? I, I mean, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for the suddenly dominant Oklahoma defense that we saw. It took me by surprise. Can you blame me? No, no, I, I, I can't. Uh, let's go over to Facebook now. A few more three-word reviews. Steve has a couple, and I, I like the first one, Steve. Nobody wants Oklahoma. Uh, nobody in the Big 12 wants Oklahoma right now. I'll tell you that much. I, I'm sure Alabama wouldn't mind having Oklahoma. They, they want everybody. And uh, I don't do – you, do you get this next one, Grant? I'll, I don't get this one. Steve's other three-word review, and maybe I'm just out to lunch, is who's Reggie Turner? Oh, he caught a pass. I don't know. I thought that was kind of funny. Oh, okay. So that was late he's, in the game. He's a walk-on. Yeah, he's a walk-on who plays uh, like the same position as like Miles Tease. And, and he's like, right, he's, so that's, that, that's me being out to lunch. Then I clearly not paying attention to the, the waning minutes of that game. My yeah, bad. I thought it was funny. Yeah, that's good. That's a good one. So, uh, yeah, good, good call, Steve. That's my bad on not getting that. And then the last one from TJ, his three-word review is Buki Lays Wood with a bunch of exclamation points. Obviously referencing Buki's big hit over the middle that uh, ended up knocking him out of the game. So thank you to all for the three-word reviews. Hopefully maybe we can keep this going and we can get more. I'll, I'll, I didn't post this until super late on Saturday night, so maybe if I post this earlier in the day, we'll get a little more interaction because I think those are kind of fun. I, I listened to uh, a Chicago Bears podcast. The Bears are my favorite team, and they do this after the games, and they get a lot of play on Twitter and Facebook. So it's kind of interesting. I mean, it's gets you, to, you can be a little creative with it. Um, I think that's that's all I have, Grant. You good? Yeah, I'm good. I don't know. Is there anything? Did you see anything over the like over the course of the day on Saturday that you want to comment on, or should we keep that for Thursday's show? Uh, we can keep it for Thursday's show since we're running a little little behind here on this Sunday as the NFL kicks off already. I mean, obviously, Texas loses to Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State played its best game of the season, or at least its best game since Boise State. Uh, and they put together, they put it together in all phases for the most part. Taylor Cornelius played very well. I mean, that that's like the big notable takeaway from Saturday, obviously, not just in the Big 12, but throughout the entire country, I would say. And uh, one other quick quick note, too, that I guess we can talk more about on on Thursday, I guess, too, is I, I the Big Ten isn't very good. I don't think the Big Ten's a very good conference this season. Just going to throw that out there. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't, I, I think there's, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of strength at the top of conferences across America, just not a lot of depth. And you're seeing yeah. that. You're seeing that also I mean, in the Big ACC. Not great either. The ACC is is terrible this year. The Pac-12 is really bad. Um, I think this is really, you know, f- 
teams one through ten, I think I, I think the Big Twelve is honestly better than it was last year. I, I just think it's a little deeper. Uh, but you know, I, I well Texas Tech being a, like like a feisty legitimate team is certainly helping the Big Twelve. Also, I think I think Iowa State is better this year than they were last year. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you know Baylor is obviously better. TCU is considerably worse. I think Texas is quite a bit better than they were last year. West Virginia is obviously a lot better. West Virginia is better. Um, you had, you had mentioned Lee that Kansas State had been competitive against every other team in the Big Twelve. That's not true. They got absolutely destroyed oh, yeah. by West Virginia. Yeah, you're right. It was like similar destroying as as what happened on Saturday. Um, so, I think they uh, they they turned Will Greer over a bunch of times. Yeah, they turned game. it out. That was the only reason why it wasn't a, a big. I think that I think the final of that game was like thirty five to six, and West Virginia turned it over three times in the red zone. I think something like that. Mm-hmm. So and that uh, I I will say now that just talking about the Big Twelve, I'm I'm really getting I'm I'm more and more annoyed by Iowa State's loss to TCU because uh, obviously TCU is not that great, and I mean I had Iowa State finishing behind OU Texas and West Virginia in the Big 12 and I mean I guess Iowa State still could could finish up that high it's just that loss to TCU really hurts them in the in the standings obviously uh, well that was a that was also a fully healthy TCU defense that they faced um and also that was that was pre Brock Purdy Iowa State yep yep that was right when that was right as Iowa State was in flux with quarterback because no one got hurt, and yeah, just things weren't. I, I, maybe, maybe no one wasn't hurt, but he just he was kind of ineffective. He was ineffective, and that was. Um, and Iowa State's defense was borderline dominant in that game, also. So I yep. mean, that was more of just that was more te- uh, a fully healthy TCU defense, uh, really limiting. You know, a Zeb Nolan led Iowa State offense. So yeah, I, I know, it, I know, it's just it's annoying. Um, I am uh, Iowa State is a top twenty-five team. I am one hundred percent sure of it. Oh, absolutely. That's the thing. I mean, Iowa State and Texas Tech just played both unranked. Both of those teams are top 25 caliber teams, I think. I think so. Even- and, you're, and you're seeing, too, I think um, Iowa State, I think they have a, they have a really favorable schedule. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they went out. Um, I, Iowa State, I think, is, is a winner, too, from being back in the top 25. Uh, Lee, because with kind of what happened this week, we're gonna we're gonna start seeing a lot of three loss teams in the top twenty five. It wouldn't even really surprise me if Iowa State is in the committee's top twenty five as well, because there's just there really aren't a, aren't a ton of teams that have a bunch of great wins this year. All the teams at the top really haven't played anyone yet. They have backloaded schedules. Yeah, I mean you got LSU out there with a bunch of great wins, and after that, nah, not not much else. And I gotta Lee, I. I, I did. I, I went back and I fully watched the LSU uh, games against Georgia and Mississippi State, and man, they are so insanely limited on offense. Man, like they are just—they're <laughs> so bad on offense. I don't know how, I you, don't can, think how you, you can come to that conclusion after watching the Georgia game. Their offense was was pretty good in that game. Uh, I mean, yeah, they were—they really were good. The they weren't—they weren't consistently yeah. good. Mississippi State shut them down. They were listless against Mississippi State. Yeah, they didn't clearly didn't need to do anything though because Mississippi State's offense was atrocious. And that's not to say anything about their de- their defense is fast, feisty, and they f- they fly to the ball. They're really fun to watch on defense, but man, their offense is so limited. I I think you're just I'd be they're really gonna struggle against Alabama, really gonna struggle. All right, well, I mean if if Alabama doesn't get a test from LSU, they ain't gonna get a test from anybody this year. So. At least in the regular season, which is frustrating. I think uh, I, I think Georgia can move the ball on Alabama fairly well. 
Well, I said the regular season. I mean, I don't. That's that's the that'd be the yeah. SEC title. And you game, know, yeah, so. we'll, we're we're going to learn a lot about LSU's defense this upcoming Saturday, just because uh, going up against, I you know, obviously the second best offense in college football would be the best offense in college football, and and any other year where Lincoln Riley and Oklahoma didn't exist. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see if LSU can, can kind of replicate what they've done over the course of the year. They haven't faced really a good offense this year. So I'm, let's see, let, let, let's, let's see with LSU because I'm, I, college football league really is starting to kind of turn into a sport where the offenses reign and good offenses beat good defenses in college football. Now it's, it's starting to sort of happen like it, like it does in the NFL. So does Ole Miss not have a good offense? Oh, that's that's a good yeah. Olmus has a very good offense, and and I'd say George's offense is pretty good too. Oh, you know what? Yeah, that's that's a good counter. Well done, Lee. I mean, so yeah, it's it's the same it's the same thing, I guess, with with Michigan. I mean, Michigan has got a Michigan's defense is great. It's not a bad obviously it's not a bad defense, but they have not been tested yet. Michigan has not been tested like LSU has. LSU has been tested by Ole Miss has got a real offense. And uh, Georgia does too, and I mean they. Although I will say Georgia, I know we're getting real, we're getting really in the weeds here, but you know if you like the podcast enough and you're still listening, that you know, thank you. Uh, did you watch any of the Georgia Florida game? Uh no, I haven't seen a lot of it. All I've, uh, I'll probably have to go back and rewatch it. All I've seen it, uh, from it is that it, it seemed like it was a game that Georgia kind of dominated the entire game, but just didn't really take take advantage of their of their breaks and whatnot i heard Fromm had a great game i think you uh i was listening to our our podcast from last week uh, yesterday i i think you kind of nailed i mean we, we do our picks and this is one of our picks and you kind of you briefly kind of summed up what you thought would happen i think you kind of nailed it you said that it'd be kind of a closer game but a game where uh it's close but in the, in the fourth quarter georgia just kind of pulls away and that's exactly what happened i mean georgia it was Decently close, and then Georgia outscored Florida thirteen to three in the fourth quarter, and pulled away. Uh, Florida, statistically, Florida I think won the first half, but we're still trailing on the scoreboard. And uh, one big red flag, and it, you know, I guess maybe red flag, maybe that's too serious. But there was a there was a, a sequence for Georgia's offense. I can't remember what quarter it was, but they literally had six plays to gain a yard and couldn't do it and had to settle for a field goal they had first and goal from the freaking one yard line and couldn't gain a yard on third and goal threw into the end zone got bailed out by a pi had first and goal again at the one and again three straight plays could not gain a freaking yard and had to kick a field goal yeah Lee. that is awful yeah, in the in, in the brief time that I've watched Georgia this year, it does it has kind of seemed like and now you know we're talking about a top five this is not, seven and one team. This is not Georgia from last year, put it that no, way. No, I think I, I think it's pretty clear that it hasn't been as as easy to replace uh, you know, the three guys who are like, you know, three of the top thirty four picks in the NFL draft. Yeah. Um and I think I, I remember going into that Rose Bowl last year, there were a lot of Georgia fans who coming into last season were kind of iffy on their offensive coordinator and maybe that has kind of popped up this year when they don't have two first round NFL running backs and a left tackle who was taken in the first round as well so that's Jim Chaney I think his name right and that's yep. and that's kind of what I was seeing last year when I was watching tape and I wasn't as high on the Georgia offense as you were 
it's just the the creativity just wasn't there and yeah. that's that's why i you know it, but it was obviously didn't matter that much because they had so much elite talent because when i lee when i watch georgia the thing that stands out to me is all of their good receivers and from and i think that should i mean their their passing game should be the focal point of their offense in my opinion because they have that's just not out, the way they play out, they outside just, of oklahoma and yeah. alabama i think they have the best receiving core in the country uh west virginia you you would probably toss in there as well but um I mean, their their receivers are very talented and athletic, and I think they should try to get them the ball as much as humanly possible. Uh, it doesn't sound like that's that doesn't really sound like that's Jim Cheney's mo though. Um, and so we'll we'll see. I, I don't know. I, Georgia obviously is a really talented team. They've also kind of struggled to stop the run this year as well. But those are you know, like I said, we're getting pretty far into the weeds here. All right, let's wrap this one up. Uh, first playoff rankings come out on uh, Tuesday. We will. Uh We'll have plenty of comments, I'm sure, on that on our next show. Plus, we will talk in depth about the upcoming matchup, Oklahoma at Texas Tech at night on Saturday. That's it for today. We'll be back, like I said, on Thursday. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.